uh, that's a transition. Our making a large purchase can be a huge transition, a house, a car, an investment. Um, choosing a career, direction. And, and, and all of these are transitions that some of, most of them, at least many of those, you can see in advance that we talk, you know, I'm coming to this point and I have to make a decision. And when you make those decisions, no decision times um, cause stress. Um, in fact, the greatest stresses come from transitional times in our life, whatever they might be. You know, empty, you know, the, the new empty house for someone or the loss of a loved one, transitions. Those are all the bigger stresses that we all face in life. And then there are surprises, right? Besides those that we see coming, there are things that come and we don't have much time to make a decision and, and those bring stress. So, and we get stressed by both the decisions we make and the, sometimes the decisions, the wrong decisions we make. Looking back, we, we face those. So what I want to do this morning is I want to bring to you a biblical principle that will alleviate just all kinds of stresses in your life, the transitional stresses. Just, just alleviate so many of them. It's not going to alleviate everything, every stress in your life. We'll talk, we're we're going to talk more about that next week and we'll deal with some other things. But this morning I want to talk about this. And, and the principle, we could just say it th you know, this way. One of the ways you can say it is, if there is a check in your spirit, check with the Holy Spirit. If there's a check in your spirit, check with the Holy Spirit. Or you can say it this way. If you hesitate, meditate. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, om, not Eastern meditation where you blank your mind out, but you meditate on God's word. Or, and I know this is, um, if you feel tension, pay attention. You had enough of those? The principle, Right? question to ask is, if there is a tension that deserves my attention, when, I, when I'm coming up to something, is there a tension in me that there's, sometimes there are some tensions that you have some decisions to make and then something bothers you about it, or there is no, te no tension at all, you think, man, this is the right way to go, I got it, and then someone in your life brings up a problem. You know, someone close to you, a friend, a mom, you know, somebody comes and brings up attention that you, you were just fine until they came along. You know, and they, and they say things like, can you really afford that? You know, or is that really what you want? I mean, from all indications what you said in the past, or I thought you said your goal or your dream was... And why are you making this just, or, and here's one, um, but the Bible says. And, and all of a sudden you have a tension that you didn't have before. But we all have a problem. And I put you in the category too. We all have this problem. We sell ourselves. We sell ourselves. We, we we're very good at selling ourselves on the decision that we want to make ahead of time. 
even though there might be a tension that we should pay attention to, there might be an issue, there might be something, we'll process, we'll walk right through that. I'm going to go way back in my life um, to, um, to a, a, a simple, a, a common decision. Um, my, I, I'm going back to a couple years after Carol and I were married. And the first two years of our marriage, in fact, I think it was a little bit longer than that, almost three years of our marriage, everything we had in our little apartment was given to us. Everything. Our bed, our wash machine, our, our refrigerator, everything. Our front room, our, our chairs and our, you know, our dining room table, everything was given to us. And we're grateful for it. I mean, people were kind. We have wonderful family and friends who say, hey, do you need one, something? And, and it was, you know, but everything was used. And everything was something that somebody else liked, but we weren't making, had not made the decision on anything. And, and it was a mix, mix match of stuff, and we were grateful, and we didn't have any money. So it was really good, you know. And uh, we lived pretty, pretty meagerly. We lived in this little one-bedroom uh, uh, apartment. Uh, we paid $80 a month. And uh, that, was, that was not because it was that long ago. <laughs> that was because it was in Compton, Compton-Linwood uh, border, and we had five locks on the back door. Nobody really wanted to live there. You, know, you hear the gunshots and the ambul- you know, ambulances every night. And so, but this is what we had. And we went, and we made a mistake. We went window shopping. Say that's a big mistake. Turn your neighbors. That's a big mistake. So we went. We went, um, and we saw this furniture, and we needed. We thought we needed a couch, and you know, some front room stuff. We had this little little front room area, and we decided we were going to look at. And then, of course, the salesman comes along and says, "Well, we got a deal on this, and you don't even have to pay for the first year." And you know, and you can pay off, you could save up if you pay it off in time, of course. There'll be no interest. If you don't, you can just extend it as long as you need. And uh, this, this does date it. It was kind of a velvet, velvety kind of thing, color thing. And so we're thinking, it's such a deal. Now, there was this check. We really don't have the money. We really um, can't, but you know, we're not making any payments. We could save maybe, you know, down the road would be fine. And uh, that couch and love seat wore out before we got done paying for it. <laughs> it was a bad mistake. You know, I, I didn't quite, you know, I had that check, but you know, you can sell yourself on anything. How many of you, looking back, you know you sold yourself on something? After the fact, you look back and go, I, I think I just talked myself into that. And it was not a good decision. How, any, anybody want to admit that? Yeah. So, what do you do? Well, when you have that tension, you have to pause and pay attention. 
When you get that tension, you have to pause and pay attention. Now I want to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Hey, listen, if you're, uh, we have the scriptures here, but if you're new, you know, you can download a Bible app, and, uh, you know, if you don't have a Bible, and you can eventually get one, I'd suggest that, but you can uh, download UVerse. If you look in your apps on your phone, it's a great little Bible app, has a lot of helps and so forth. Um, just a little side suggestion on that. version, not UVerse, UVersion. Um, and uh, it'd be, be good to do. So anyhow, um, let, me, let me give you a background on the story before we read it. Um, children of Israel, you know, for generations, God would give them a prophet, a, a, you know, someone who would hear from God, and he, they would lead the people. And God would raise up a different person, raise them up, and, uh, but, but they got, the Hebrews got tired of that, and they looked at other nations, and they wanted what other nations had. They have a king. We want a king. You know, we want the pomp and circumstance and all of that. We want a king. And God warned them. He says, listen, if I give you a king, there's going to be oppression. They're going to take advantage of you. He, he lists a whole group of things. They said, but we want a king. So God gave them the best version of what they were asking for. He, he gave them Saul. And Saul was a pretty good guy to start with. But God knew something. When you give someone, you give a man too much power, it always goes bad. And to be a king is too much power. And so that's what happened. Saul went bad. And he went from being a good king to a bad king to being a man who seemed to seek for the things of God to a man who rejected God and God's ways and all of this went his own way and it went to his head. And so God made a promise he would in fact raise up another king and, and he chose a shepherd boy who had six older brothers and he was the least likely to be you know, put in that position. But God saw something in him you got to have, you know, he's going to be king. He's got to have a good heart. So God was good, is going to give them the best version of what they want again. And, and it's a shepherd named David. And the Bible says he had a heart after God. He had, he had a, a heart after God. And, uh, and it started off, he was just a shepherd. And he ended up going to the battlefront. Many of you know this story, how he went to the battlefront because his brothers were there. They're fighting the Philistines. Goliath is there, the giant, the huge guy. It's, it's Shaq with uh, military gear on, you know, huge. And he's ready, you know, to fight, and nobody will fight him. And David says, I'll take him on. You know, I've taken, and so he goes out and slays the giant with a, with a sling. And then he gets into Saul's, you know, palace, and he's, people are giving him a lot of credit. He ends up being a military guy, and his, uh, his military uh, you know, wisdom, the way he operated, brought all kinds of success. And then people started looking to David and saying, this guy's amazing. And Saul doesn't like it. They even started singing this song, you know, Saul has slayed his thousands, but David has slayed his ten thousands. And 
Saul hears that, he wants to kill David. He wants to get rid of that guy. He's a threat. And David has to run, and he runs for his life, but because of who he has been and what he has done, there are some dischanted people that try to find him, and they do. They go out and find him, and there's about 400 guys there that are with David. And Saul goes to find him, wants to kill him, has an army. And so David and his men are hiding, okay, hiding from Saul. And that's where we pick up the story. In verse number 1 of chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. Now what happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. That is an area near the Dead Sea in, 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 uh, in Israel, um, at the upper end of the Dead Sea. And uh, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to see David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So this one area where David is, Saul has 3,000 chosen men. These are his best fighters. He's got an army to go kill David. And he's seeking him out. And verse 3 says, So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. A cave. It's more than a cave, it's the cave. And so he goes to a cave. Now, there's all kinds of caves in this area. Been there, those of us that have gone to on our Israel trips, we've seen it. Let me show you. This is just one side uh, of the road, and it just goes for miles. You see the, the, the dark spots there on the, the side? Those are, those are caves, they're all over. And it goes like that for miles, just caves and caves and caves. Hundreds and hundreds of caves on the side of the road, in and get it. But it says, and Saul went in to attend to his need. So he goes into a cave, and he goes in to attend his needs. He's using the potty. Let's just get clear on that, okay? He's going, he's going to the bathroom. There's many play on words and puns I could use here, but I'm, I, I, you just have no idea what restraint I have I'm truly impressing myself right now. So, um, so the king goes and sits on the throne. And he's, <laughs> he's in the cave. Now, Saul went in to attend to his needs, it says. And it says, David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So the cave that Saul goes in. Now, listen. When you're the king and you have to go use the restroom... The whole army has to stop. You know, the, the whole, I mean, you got a caravan of thousands of people and animals and all that goes along with that. And he stops and says, I, I'm using, I've got to go up to the cave. Because he's not going to do it publicly like other pe people in the army might do. He has, he's king. He does it privately. So he goes up and he's in this cave and he's about to do his business. He's got his magazine and he's sitting and read and. And in the back of the cave, now, you know, the, these deep caves, you, if you're looking out, until when you come in, your eyes are not adjusting. So he'd come in, he wouldn't be able to see in the dark. But they can look out and they can see a silhouette. 
of someone. And it's, and it's him. Now, don't use your imagination too much on this, but here's David, and uh, his men are hiding. Imagine what's going through his mind as he's hiding out. And, you know, it's not just his life, but he's taking responsibility for all these other people, these other men in his army. And he's got to try to keep them safe. And all of a sudden, Saul comes with 3,000 soldiers. And now Saul ends up in the cave that David is hiding in. What are the odds? I mean, you, you, you got to know, this doesn't seem like an accident, right? This is not an accident. And his men say that. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day in which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. This is the day. This is it. God's done it. Look at this. This is definitely God. It's got to be God. God. You know, it can't be a chance here. God has delivered your enemy to you. And how easy it will be. You can take care of this guy right now. We can do it for you. In fact, they're willing to do it. You know, easy. Just step behind him. He can't even see what's going on. And just take his life. And think of the temptation of doing that for David. Thoughts that would go through his mind are like this. You know, it would be less bloodshed, just be one man. You know, he's already killed Goliath, cut off his head. You could see him probably thinking, cut off his head, grab a hold of Saul, take out his head, and go to the men. You know, here, here it is. God has delivered him to me. And now they'll, you know, they'll say, David's the king. You know, David will, will, will serve David. And that's the temptation that's going on now. And, and it seemed like, well, it seems like the right thing to do. It seems like God is actually in it. It's got to be the Lord. He's done this. See, sometimes what we think is God orchestrating is really God testing us. Sometimes we think because something is smooth and easy and it works out for us fairly well and, and it seems like this must be the thing. I feel kind of good about it. It might be the easiest way and it seemed like it all fell together. It must be God. But it wasn't God. It wasn't that it wasn't God. It was God. But it wasn't God orchestrating this so he could kill Saul. It was God testing David who would be king and giving him an opportunity to do the right thing so God could bless him. And so David rose and, and secretly cut up the corner of Saul's robe. And it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him. So we see that David has this tension that is going on here. He, 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 he's going up behind him. Maybe he was at that point, we, what we don't know, if he was thinking he's going to kill Saul at that point and then step back. 
or, or, you know, or he was just intending to do that. We, we know that the soldiers were, you know, they're saying, hey, man, do it. This is, this is God. You got to go, you know, take it, take it and take your rightful place. And he might have been thinking in this, this would be an easy way to do this process. Besides, I have all the right in the world to do this. This guy's, this is self-defense. He's trying to kill me. I have a right to do that. But maybe that tension caused him to pause enough to think, if I kill Saul, maybe the army is not going to come follow me. If I kill Saul, maybe I'll just the rest of my life be known as the guy who killed the king. And what, I mean, how do, how do I explain that to my grandkids? You know? I killed the king while he was on the potty. That's a great story, Grandpa. You know, how, what's the, the what, what is going on here in the heart of David as he is looking at something that looks like, but instead he cuts even just, even taking the piece of robe, it bothers David that he even did that. Because, see, cutting the Saul's robe when, is, is synonymous with attacking the king. And God gives, God gives leadership, God gives authority over us. And learning, this is a side note in, 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 the, in the truth of this message. Just a side note for us. We, we live in a culture right now, it's not just right now, we, we've, we've had this in our culture and it's not just us. It's all over the world. People, we, but we're, we're really good at complaining about leaders. We're just really good at it. I mean, we're, we're not, rarely are we satisfied with anybody that's in authority. And there's always somebody to complain with. It's our boss. It's our political leaders. It's our, you know, professors or teachers. It's our, you know, it's our parents. It's, it's what, there's always this whole thing that's kind of built in into our, our the, the way we process in, in our culture. And, and yet God, off, God puts people in authority and David understands a principle of honor that even though this guy doesn't deserve, get this, he does not deserve to be respected, his position does. And so David understands that principle. Maybe he thought this. God put Saul, made Saul king. I don't think it's a good idea to kill the man that God put in the position. Teaching that principle can save parents a lot of heart, heartache. I think, unfortunately, we pass that on to the next generation with, you know, our own complaint. And, and it isn't that we, you know, we, we shouldn't uh, 
process or think things through or but sometimes we get in the complain mode against uh, uh, those in authority we pass that down and then we wonder why as parents our kids don't respect our authority because we've trained them by the way we've done it you see we fry everybody verbally in authority and then what we do is we wonder why they do the same thing toward us. We pass this down from generation to generation. David understood the honor principle. But, but what's going on here is he's recognizing, that, and I don't know if he gets what's going on here, but there's something in him, his obedience to God, God is preparing him for something wonderful and great. God's going to do something that could not happen if David didn't respond to the check. So it says, he said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. In other words, God anointed him. God made him king. You know, I, I, who am I? to take out the one God made king. Even though God has promised me that position at some point, it's not my job to take him out so I can have that position. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul, and Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So David now, I don't know if this is intentional, I don't think it actually is, but what David is doing is he's teaching his men a biblical principle. Do you see? And they look at David as they're looking at David who's honoring a man who wants to kill him and seeing for themselves this is the way that we ought to act. This is a man of God. This man is a man who's doing the right thing. And says so David also rose afterward, went out of the cave, called out to Saul saying, my Lord, the king, and when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. So he bows to the king. He honors the king. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into, today, into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you and said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. I want you to notice, as he's saying this, who else is hearing it? It's the army of Saul. Now, if he would have killed Saul, he might... This, he might have been thinking, and his, obviously his soldiers were thinking, if you kill Saul, the, the soldiers are going to start look to you and go, you're the king now, and they're going to surrender to you. And if David would have followed that reasoning, he would have followed the reasoning that we often make in our life. We look at situations and we think we know what's going to happen. That's the problem. If I make this decision, this is going to happen. How many have made a decision in your life 
that you thought was the right one. In fact, you thought you knew what was going to happen, and it didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen. How many have done that? You know what that is? That's regret. That's where regret comes. Regret comes from you think you're making a decision to do this because you know what's going to happen. You make that decision and it doesn't happen. And you have regret for it. And that is, that's our problem. And David could have looked at it that way. But when he stopped, when he hesitated enough not to follow through, when he heard them trying to encourage him to do it, but he didn't do it, what he saved himself from might have been something terrible and worse and might have shortcutted God's uh, plan. Because maybe instead the people would have rose up and there would have been somebody in that military, those 3,000 soldiers, somebody rises up and says, well, let's kill David, he killed our king. Different problem. Because you don't know what's going to, what, what, what is actually going to happen. But see what, see what making the right decision is doing. At this point, those 3,000 men They're looking up and saying, he could have killed Saul, and he didn't do it? What a great man that is. What a righteous man that is. Saul is trying to kill him, but when he had the opportunity to kill Saul, he didn't take it. Saul would have definitely taken the opportunity. David is a greater man than Saul. So this army of men now are already seeing the kind of man David is. Where otherwise they might not, if he would have taken his life, they might not, they might have turned on David instead. And more bloodshed would have happened. And so David goes on and he says, but my eye spared you, he said. And uh, then in verse 12 it says, let the Lord judge between you and me. And that gives you an indication of why David could make this decision. He put it in the Lord's hands. Let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord avenge me on you. But, But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. Then verse 15 it says, Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. A lot of people live in consistent stress because they know they have been ignoring the tension. They've been living in a decision and they've been ignoring the tension. And that spirit check, they go on with. And that's a conflict they have. I remember several years ago, um, in our denomination, let me give you kind of a, a in our movement, you know, we have over 100,000 churches, but in, in the United States, we have um, it sectioned off into well, we, we have more now, but at the time we had nine districts. And so 
um, we would, so that the pastors could have someone that would be kind of a, a, a pastor to them, someone to help them and nurture them and help them with whatever. Um, we have districts, and there's a district supervisor over each of the, was over each of the nine districts. And, uh, and so th our denomination uh, decided to come and ask me if I would be a district supervisor. And, uh, and being a district supervisor is, in fact, at that point, they had never had one person who had been a district supervisor, and understand our, our denomination goes back to the 1920s, that had quit being a district supervisor. In other words, people liked it, doing it. And, and you know, I mean, if you're a pastor and you have a heart for pastors, I do, I have. Um, it's really a wonderful thing to be able to, to nurture pastors and connect with pastors and but here was the kicker. They came to me, and, you know, there's nine districts, and they says, we want to ask you to be a district supervisor, and, it, and you won't even have to move. You can stay in your own district. This district that you're part of is where we want you to be the district supervisor. It could have been over, you know, the East Coast, could have been anywhere, which would allow, have allowed me to be close to my family. It would allow for me to attend the cornerstone. Um, you know, it allowed some... Good things and boy it just seemed like everything just fallen together but there's one negative there's one caveat and that was I couldn't be pastor and still be district supervisor you, you can't it was too much and the size of the districts several hundred churches so they they asked that you step down from that and, and I love pastoring but at that point I'm thinking you know God is open this door and it seems like something that really it's wide open and so um, I talked with several diff different folks people called me and said hey I heard you're going to be our next supervisor and I said you know we're just praying about it but that's sometimes you know just praying about it is kind of like we're throwing up prayers but we're kind of making our decision and we went to bed Carol and I went to bed that night thinking you know we're we think that this must be God and I don't want to miss God on this and he's opened the door but the next morning when we woke up there was that check just that check and uh, so it stopped us from making any decision and as we processed it and prayed more we got more uncomfortable with going forward with being a district supervisor and the peace wasn't there and God if, if we had not checked the check, we would have went forward with it. So we called up, or they called us and asked, hey, have you, you know, decided yet? And we told them, you know, I'm sorry, but don't, I don't feel like this is what the Lord wants for us at this time. They had never had a person who was offered to be a district supervisor turn it down in the history, the you know, at that time, nearly 80 years of, uh, of our denomination. They never had a supervisor say no. And it was, they were kind of shocked. And I thought, you know, and you go through this afterward. Wow. At the, you know, the Lord really kind of, I'm confident, but, you know, I wonder why. Well, a year later, the denomination decided to make a complete shift in the way that it, it organized. 
And they went from nine districts to somewhere around 50, if I remember, 50 or 60 districts. They eliminated the regional district supervisor and they did it more locally where the pastor could stay in his church and still be a district supervisor. And then they asked me if I would be the supervisor of the Orange County District, which I could pastor here and still be the supervisor. And I did that for about seven years as a supervisor. So I got what I felt a desire toward, but it wasn't the time, and it wasn't the place, and it wasn't the situation. And every one of those nine district supervisors not only lost their position, none of them, I don't think any one of them was able to be, be a supervisor as a result of that and had to go figure things out, you know. And, and I look back at that, and if I wouldn't, we would not have been, if, if we would have said, well, this must be God, this looks like God, everything's falling in place, and went and moved forward without checking the check, I'd have missed out on all that God wanted. Well, let me tell you the end of this story with David. Then the story is, of course, Saul goes off. And it doesn't end there. Saul, Saul, after all of that, Saul still decides he's going to kill David. So he starts chasing after David again, right? He chases after David. And, and finally, as he chases after David, um, you know, David's, David's uh, escaping. And think about this. I wonder if David, while he's running now again from Saul, saying, man, I should have killed him in that cave. Right? Don't you think so? You, you, you ever have those guys, you, you made a decision, you believe it was, you know, you checked with God, you checked with what God wanted, you prayed about it, you processed it, you checked with other people that you trust, they've given you a decision, you made the right decision, but then things don't go that good. You know? Maybe I made the wrong decision. This is what I'm going to tell you. If, if, you're, if you don't deceive yourself, you listen to those people who, who, who are godly people who will help you and direct you. You don't deceive yourself. You, you listen for the check of the Holy Spirit. Even if you make the wrong decision, I believe God will orchestrate for you. I believe that. Because that's what you did. You did the right thing. And David, now, here's David. He is running for his life, but then Saul goes into battle. There's a battle that comes up against the Philistines, and, uh, and, and someone, because this is what they do in the army, they, they take their bows and they just shoot them randomly, just hoping they'll hit somebody. And some guy shot it, and the arrow came and went between Saul's armor for a fatal wound. And before he dies, not wanting to, for them to say, Saul died at the hand of the enemy. He falls on his own sword. And he dies. And you know what all the people do after Saul dies? Let's get David and bring him here. He's our king. David gets what he could have tried to take and maybe wouldn't have gotten because he tried to take it. But because... He was checked, and he stopped. 
because he had some tension and he paid attention, he made the right choice. And I want to just say, I don't want you, don't look back. This isn't a message about looking back. We all have tensions that we ignored. We've all done things in our life that we can look back. We all have things that we know and we look back didn't turn out as we knew they were going to because we made the wrong decision. But there's no use going there. This is what you do. You go forward. And you go, whenever I'm making a decision, whenever I, I have to make a choice, I stop and say, is there a tension here? You know? That tension might just be, well, it, it, it might be just your fears. But even if it is, even if it's coming out of your, some of us just have a hard time making decisions. And we're, gonna, we're always going to have a little tension because that's just our, our makeup and the way we process. But even if you stop there and you just bring it before God, and you're not being self-deceived, you're being open and truly honest with yourself, you'll end up making the right decision because you bring it before God. You ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. He promises to do that. He says, I will guide you into all truth. You can be confident God's direction. God's word says, I'll guide you with my eye. I'll lead you. And you have God's word, the Bible, and you have attention. Maybe it's because you need to look into scripture. David knew God's word. And that out of that, he knew he was not to be the one to kill the, the king. That was not for him to do. And you make those decisions and you'll live a life with a whole lot less stress than what you have right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. We can trust you. And Lord, there are people here right now who, Lord, they're, they're in decision-making process. They're, they're transitioning. There's things going on in their life. And in some of that chaos, Lord, maybe they're moving a little bit too quick and they're not stopping to see if there's anything before they make these decisions that, God, you would want to speak into their heart. And so I pray, Father, I pray, God, your grace into each situation. I pray your grace, Lord, right now into each situation. And then I pray, Father, for those who are distant from you and you know who you are. If you've been away from God or you've never given your life to Jesus, just you can open up to him right now. He'll respond to you right now. In fact, don't wait. Here's a decision I can tell you is the right one. You respond and accept Christ as your Savior. You, you believe upon him. And you can do that by praying this prayer, just entering in by faith and saying, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins and was buried and conquered death. And Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. And I ask you to come into my life. I want to follow you. 
I also ask you to cleanse my soul from all of my sin. Everything that I've done wrong that has been displeasing to you, God, I repent. I ask you to cleanse my soul. I'm sorry. And help me to follow you, Jesus. I do want to do that. I want to follow you. Help me. I don't know how to do that, but I ask you to help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Listen, we're going to uh, do two things as we close. One, we're, we're going to worship with our offerings, and, and if you like to give, the uh, ushers are receiving, going to bring pass out the buckets, and we're going to go ahead and, uh, and receive the offering. Um, you can give online. There's how to do that if you want to do that. That's one way we, we worship. We worship with the work of our hands, and then we're going to worship with our voice. We're going to lift our voices to God and worship, and uh, that's how we're going to close, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come back up in just a, last, a final prayer. But let's lift our hearts in, in that. Father, I ask that you bless not only as we bring our offerings and our gifts to you, but Lord, as we bring the gift of worship, be honored in Jesus' name. Amen.